We're going to turn tonight to the book of Job. We're going to read Job, the first chapter, but before we do that, I want to kind of start at the end. And look at Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, verse 10 says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. That means he restored the fortunes. The Lord returned the captivities of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. In verse 12, it says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Job chapter 1. I've tried all day to come up with a title for tonight. I don't know that I have. We could, we could say, why me? <laughs> you ever thought, why me? It's probably a fair question. You're probably not going to get an answer, but it's all right if you want to ask it. It's big enough for your questions. I'm really talking about consecration, sanctification, consecration, trials and persecutions. <laughs> That'll make you shout, right? But you know what? It's life. Heard a new convert once that wrote that read the book of Job because he needed one. <laughs> well, that's not what it's about. The book of Job epitomizes the invisible celestial war that's raging between good and evil. Right now as we speak, there is a celestial war raging. Daniel talked about it once. Daniel had prayed for 20 some odd days. Then it says that the angel came and said, Daniel, I heard you the first day. And I was on my way on your behalf. But the prince of the powers of Persia opposed me. Can you imagine the war that was going on in the heavenlies? For 21 days, it says, and the archangel, Michael, came and helped me. Yes. War in the heavens. Sometimes there's war in the heavens. No, all the time. I think it was Elijah 
had a servant one time when they were surrounded that was about to panic. And the old prophet prayed and says, open his eyes that he could see that those who be with us are more and greater than those that be against us. And when the servant looked back out, the Lord had opened his spiritual eyes and he saw they were surrounded by angels with flaming swords drawn. There's war going on in the heavenlies still today. Job epitomizes that. Job also shows that God is in control. And we are not. <laughs> we like to think we are. Man, we, we, we think we're running everything. God is in control, and we're not. That's not deep theology, but if you'd settle it in your heart, it'll go a long way. It shows that God is in control and we are not, and that we cannot require God to give us a reason for what he chooses to do. You read the book of Job, we ought to all read the book of Job. Job asked chapters of questions. And God answered none of them. Not a single one. But I'll insert right here. But it says in Job chapter 122, it says in all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Let's read. Job chapter 1 says, There was a man from the land of Uz, and his name was Job. And that man was a perfect or blameless and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil or shunned evil. Job was a good man. God said himself. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters, and his substance was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 5,000 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men in the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for the three sisters to come eat and to drink with them. And so it was, when the days of their feasting were gone, that Job sent out and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart, thus Job Thus did Job continually. Now, here, here was a title. Now there was a day. <laughs> that, that'll, that'll stand up. Now there was a day. You ever had a day? 
When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Sons of God is talking here about all of the angelic host. Archangels. Seraphim, cherubim. Angels, fallen angels. All of them. All of them. Came to present themselves to the Lord of hosts, the word of God says. And Satan came also among them. Some of you, I've taught it here before, but some of you don't know that Satan still has access to the throne of God to this day. He doesn't, he is not thrown out of heaven for good until Revelation chapter 12. And the Lord said to Satan, or the adversary, from where come you? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. You know, Peter says that be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So his game hasn't changed. And the verse 8, and the Lord said to Satan, man, this is, listen, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. Perfect. An upright man, he's one that fears God and eschews evil. And Satan answered the Lord and says, are you kidding me? Of course I've considered Job. Now I was reading King James and I just switched over to JRV. <laughs> but it was his answer. He says, and Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear the Lord for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that is on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in all the land, the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to, his, to your face. Because see, Satan had the misconception that Job loved the Lord because Job had stuff. And if you got your faith in your stuff, come on, somebody. See, he, he, he was, Satan had underestimated what was going on. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Verse 12, it says, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself put not forth your hand. And Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Yes, you just read what you think you read. Satan's looking for a target. God suggested Job. Have you considered him? Well, you've got a hedge about him. So he's, you, I can't get to him. Well, I, I will. I'll tell you what, God says. I will behold 
I'm telling you right now that all that he has is within your power now. Have at it, but you can't touch Job. Why did God do that? I don't know. It's one of the whole points of the whole thing is God is in control of all of it and he knows the wise and he holds the wise in his hand. Had nothing to do with Job's sin. It says Job was, a, was, was perfect enough. It doesn't mean he was sinlessly perfect. It means that he honored the Lord in everything and that he was offering sacrifice for his whole family, for himself, that, he, that his heart was stayed on God. That he was, that God said, this is the finest man on the face of the earth. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating, drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And he says, And while he was speaking. There came also another and says, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I'm the only one who escaped alone to tell you. Verse 17 says, While he was speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans have, have made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away, yea, the, and slain their servants with the edge of the sword, and I'm the only one left alone came to tell you verse 18 says while he was speaking talk about now there came a day while he was speaking there came also another and said your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking in their eldest brother's house and behold there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and came and it fell upon the young men and they are all and they are dead and I'm the only and I only escaped alone to tell you. It says, And Job arose, rent his mantle, tore his clothes, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. And said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb. And naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And if you'll allow me, I'll read one more verse. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came. Again. I'll not read it all, but you know this time the same scenario played out. The adversary is before the throne, and he, he's, and he says, what are you doing? I'm roaming the whole earth. And he says, again, he says, have you considered my servant Job? He said, yeah, but... Because, see, Satan was befuddled because he thought if he took everything he had that he would curse God to his face. He said, but that didn't work. He said, I've got to have it him. God said, 
All right? You can have at him, but you can't kill him. Can I compare that to another situation before we get started? In Psalm chapter 119, the big one, beginning in verse 62, David is the writer here. Psalm 119, 62. Because this is a very different scenario. But we're going to deal with the same subject. Psalm 119, verse 65. David is speaking. He says, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed your commandments. Before, listen, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept your word. Verse 68, listen to me. Listen to this confession, profession. You, he's talking to God, about God. You are good. And do good. Teach me your statutes or your decrees. He says, I the proud have forged a lie against me, but I have kept your precepts with my whole heart. And their heart was as fat as grease, but I, my delight is in your law. Now listen to verse 71. Listen. David says, it was good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I've kept your word. It was good for me. Church, we've got to understand some things to come to a place in faith again that we understand that he is good and he does good and good is all he is and all he knows and all he's got. You have to come to a place where you know that no matter what comes along in this life, that if you're His, that the promises of Romans 8 are still true, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. I've lived long enough already to know I'm not going to understand everything. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that now we know in part. It says, we see through a glass darkly. Right? It says, now we know in part, but then we're going to know even as we're known. There's going to there's gonna come a time 
when it's when this world has come to a close as we know it, the world's never going to end, by the way. It's going to change. It's going to, it's going to be different. It's going to come to a, a, different, a different living than we, that we know today because everything's going to be restored to the way it's supposed to be. So the world's not coming to an end. But there will come a time at the end of the millennial reign when all is said and done, when the enemy is defeated once and for all, death is defeated, all things are restored, that we're going to have understanding that we don't have now. There was two very different situations here. Job was a perfect and upright man who... who the things that came against him had nothing to do with sin or some or transgression or iniquity or anything against God, but it was still within God's plan. David is just the opposite. David came to a place where affliction came in his life because of David. But they both came to a place where they know God was good. In Job 23, in the middle of his torment, personal torment, when he was covered from head to toe in boils and scraping in ash heap with broken pottery, scraping his skin to get some relief, Job says, for I know my Redeemer lives and that he, shall, that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And, and though after my skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Sobering chapters. Most scholars believe that Job is the oldest book in the world, oldest book in the canon of Scripture, likely written by Moses, but they're not sure. So before the account of creation was written down, before the law was written down before the accounts of the patriarchs was written down. The account of Job's affliction was given. And you, when you read, you know there's things you already know about Job. You already, you already, we've already explained that that his trouble didn't come by any fault of his own. But immediately, the first. The first accusation come against him from his own household, the only surviving member, his wife, comes and says, why don't you just curse God and die? That's encouraging. Then... The friends had been on Facebook and heard some about what was happening. One of them got on instant messenger and said, well, did you hear what happened to Job? 
You wouldn't believe it. You just wouldn't believe it. First they got a sheep. Then fire came and took out the camels. And people invaded and stole the rest of it. And one servant left here and one there. Then all of his kids were having a big wing ding. And the winds blew the house down and killed them all. But you know that Mrs. Job, he, he still stuck with her. We ought to go see him. We ought to go visit Job. That's, you know, when you're, when you're in a problem, you need your friends to come see you, right? <laughs> well, you know that the King James, I think, calls them Job's comforters. <laughs> Job's friends come by and they make every accusation in the book. Job, you ought to repent. I know good and well there's hidden sin in your life because if there hadn't been hidden sin in your life, none of this would happen to you. Well, if you'd have, if you'd have went to church on time, if you'd have paid your tithes, if you'd have, if you'd have not been seeing sister so and so down the street while Mrs. Job was at the grocery store, none of that happened. But you weren't going to convince any of them of that. Man, people can have their mind made up. They got the story, and you ain't going to convince them any different. There's a place in God that is ours to attain. That no matter what life brings, that you still know God is good and he's in control. Church, I believe that is a place where where God would want everyone to be. I believe he put it in here for a reason to understand that his plans are so much bigger than our plans. His, the word of God says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I know how we are because I'm the same way. I'm an inquisitor. Remember the, y'all, yeah, yeah, y'all, most of you are old enough to know and remember that there used to be, you know, back in the day when, the, when fake news was the inquirer and not NBC, and MSNBC and all that, you know, back when you knew who was the news and who was the rag. Well, they used to run, well, my, my grandma and, my, and her sisters used to say, well, we got our papers in this week. I've done read, the, I've done read my papers. Y'all can come get them. When they talked about the papers, it was at the New York Times. <laughs> it was the National Enquirer and Globe. Why? Because inquiring minds want to know. Remember? Inquiring minds want to know. Well, I'm an inquiring mind and I want to know. I want to know the whys. There's some things that every one of us know. Every one of us know if I say it, you'll agree, but it's become kind of cliche. We, we believe it in, in theory, but we don't much believe it in application, I don't think. The first thing you need to understand is that heartache and trouble and trial and, and all of those things are because of original sin. Sin is the problem. 
Sin's the problem. Why do people get hurt? Why do people get killed? Why do innocent people die? Why, why, why? I'll tell you why. Sin. Not God. Sin. Mm. Wave at me if you believe that at all. About half of you. It's spread across. There, so, church, there's one thing you need to know. There are, ex, there, are un, there are always going to be unexplainable circumstances. Tragedy. Heartache. It, you know what it should do? Because I have seen people get mad at God. I told you I don't think he minds our questions. I really, really don't. But I've seen people get mad at God, turn their back on God, walk away from God because of tragedy, because of things they didn't understand. But, but it is so misguided and, and misfocused. God is not the problem. God is the answer. It should make you more determined every time you face tragedy. It should make you more determined to come against the work of the enemy than it ever did before. It should cause you ultimately to want to rise up and, and, and proclaim truth and spread the truth of the gospel. Did you, re- did you realize at the end of chapter 1 when Job has literally lost it all, he, he, it, the, it, the Bible doesn't try to whitewash it in a way that, that Job was just no big deal. It says he, he rent his garments. It says he shaved his head. It says that he... He, he went into sackcloth and ashes and it says, but he worshiped God. It should drive us to God, not away. You say, big. God didn't have to let him at Job. No, he didn't. He didn't have to. And I'll say it again. Church, he never explained his reasons. From that day to this. He did later on in the book, Job began to ask direct questions to God. And God literally, literally said, I'll answer your questions when you answer mine. And God says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, where were you when I hung the stars and the planets into orbit and made them work in perfect order? Job, where were you at creation? Job, where, where were you? God's, really, his answer was, is I have it all under control. I don't mean to re- reduce God to a board game, so don't hear me wrong. 
But God was, was and is the ultimate chess player. He's not playing checkers with life. It's not about the next move. He knows a million moves down the road. If I move this piece, then 6,000 years down the road, it's going to affect your life in this way and your life in this way and your life in this way. He's that magnificent and he's that incredible and he is that awesome. It's one of the reasons, I'll tell you right here, that I despise the theology of the prosperity gospel because it's not about us. It's about him. Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the sinner. Many are the afflictions of the screw-up. Many are the afflictions of the backslider. Many are the afflictions of the televangelist. <laughs> Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Matthew 6 and 32 is a promise that we all love, but you need to love it when the days are bad, when it's one of those days. And I want to tell you, chapter 1 says, now it was a day. Chapter 2 says, again, it was a day. And let me tell you, there's going to be an again. And as long as you're here, there's going to be an again. And as long as you're here, there's going to be an again. Everybody's always, I bind Satan in the name of Jesus over the southeast Texas. Well, who in the world keeps letting him go? Stop it. Fact of the matter is, that's really bad theology, <laughs> and Satan will not be bound until the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when it says Satan will be bound for a thousand years and will have no tempter then. Then it'll be loosed for a season, and only after that will he be bound in chains for good. So instead of all the binding that we're doing, how about, how about this is free? I like free. Because the Bible says whatsoever things are bound in heaven, loosed in earth or loosed in heaven, whatsoever things are bound in earth or heaven or bound on earth, whatever. You know what I mean. I give you the keys to the kingdom, he said, Peter. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Is that what it says? So we're going around binding this and that. Somebody keeps turning him loose. I bind the spirit of drugs over. Somebody keeps turning him loose. How about this? I believe this will work. I bind my mind to the mind of Christ. I bind my heart to the word of God. I bind my feet to walk his path because your word is a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. 
How about I loose the power of the spirit of the living God into this situation? How about I loose you to perform your word in my life? Whatsoever things are bound on earth are bound in heaven. So I'm going to bind my mind to the mind of Christ, my feet to his path. I'm going to, I'm going to, to bind my ways to his ways. I'm going to, to bind my trust to, to who he is. I'm going to bind my faith to the cross of Calvary and walk therein. I am going to loose the power of the Holy Spirit that flows through his word in my life. I'm going to loose the authority of the word of God because the word of God says that it will accomplish whatever he set it forth to do. What? He said it. That's, that's, let me help somebody's theology. It's not what you sent it forth to do. It's what he sent it forth to do. And it said he will not return unto him void. I said all that to say that Matthew 6 and 32 says, For your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Holy smokes. He needed it. Paul said, three times I prayed that God would remove this thorn from my flesh. And God said, no. No. He did. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul went on to say this. He said, for he knew that I would be exalted beyond measure in myself. Let me interpret that for you. Paul said, I needed it. Job said in chapter 13 of, his book, of the book that bears his name in verse 10. In the middle of torment unspeakable. He says, though he slay me. Yet shall I trust him. Church. Is your trust and faith in God because life is going well? Or is it because he's God? And he deserves it. Are we ever going to understand it's all about him and not about us at all? Can I say some things that you won't think is personal? It's just observations. Because I want you to understand something. How many, I love when God answers prayer and reverses situations. And he does. We should pray and we should ask. And he does. Listen, I've known personal tragedy Deep heartache. 
I'm not speaking in platitudes of things that I don't understand. I know about when that kind of day comes. I know when life is changed forever in an instant and you don't understand it. So I can speak with some authority on it. But I read on Facebook and, and listen, when God answers prayer and things work out, I rejoice with you, believe me. And we should. And you should rejoice too. It, and all things give thanks, right? Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And again, I say rejoice. But I, I watch people post things about so-and-so's having a surgery or so-and-so was in a car wreck or so-and-so life was spared. And, and praise God, because God is good all the time. And He is. But I also have watched their life and things that come on before or maybe after. And, I, and many, many times I'm always brought to a place of wondering, would you still think he was good if it hadn't worked out the way you wanted it to work out? Would he still be good? If the accident ended in tragedy... And not protection. Would he still be good if the surgery wasn't successful? Would he still be good if the prodigal hadn't come home last week and you still hadn't heard from him? That's the question. Would he still be good? And the answer is yes. He was still good. I'll quote that one again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Brother Richard, when it doesn't work out, rejoice in the Lord. Remember after David's famous failure with Bathsheba? She became pregnant. And after Nathan had come and exposed the failure, and it was declared that the baby was going to die. Do you remember? It says that David went into mourning and he began to fast and wouldn't, wouldn't speak and he wouldn't eat. And word came to David that the baby died. And I believe the Bible said he washed his face and asked for something to eat. <laughs> and they said, why did you? Now, why did you mourn and not eat and fast when the baby was, but now that the baby's died, now you, now you, want, to, you want to eat? And he says, while the baby was alive, there was yet hope that God would be merciful to me. He says, but now that the baby's gone, I can know with assurance that I'll be with him again. Wait, is he still good when it doesn't work out? <laughs> 
Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. He's just as God before, after, endearing. The cute little church saying that God is good. It's true. But do we believe it? Remember a good friend, Evangelist Dean Caldwell, who's he's a legendary evangelist, a man of faith, seen tremendous miracles in his life, in his father's ministry, in their growing up life, and over his years. But there was a time when his daughter, Talisa, when she was a little girl, about two years old, best I can remember, that she began, her health began to decline, and they didn't know why. She was losing weight and losing weight and losing weight and getting weaker and weaker, and the doctors didn't seem to be able to change the situation. Dean said, I was so mad. I was so angry. He said, my, my family had lived for God all their life. My father and mother preached the gospel for years. Said We'd seen just powerful moves of God in our home and our church. His brother Bob was born, one of the twin boys was born with spinal bifida that had him in a crippled state. He could walk, but you, you know. And when he was nine years old, in a service, just sovereignly, God touched him. And, and he said it was literally a situation where you could see and watch and hear the bones pop and crack and stretch and visibly in front of your eyes that God healed my brother. It said, but my little girl was dying for no reason. He said, I told God if she dies, I'll never preach again. If, she, if you take my baby, I'll never preach your gospel again. He said, I prayed and I prayed. And she didn't get better. She was still worse. I said, one day I shut myself in. And the Spirit of God moved in that room to a point that I realized where I was at personally. And he said, God, I'm so sorry. She said, he said, God, forgive me. If you heal Talisa, I'll tell the testimony all over the world as you open the doors. I'll, I'll, I'll tell of your goodness. But if you take her home, I'll preach any door you open any place, anywhere, and I'll tell of your goodness. Everywhere I go. And he said that very night, Talisa began to eat. That very night, her situation changed instantly. And whatever was afflicting her from that day till this, has never touched her life again. What was going on in Dean and Peggy's life that only heaven knows.
But the miracle came when a daddy says, I'll serve you no matter what happens. I've seen times in the last few months where my one of my children have came against everything he was raised. Just it's like everything just blew up in my face. He said, I hadn't really talked about it to anybody. And I here at this church in the middle of the night, Brandon was around for part of it, but he, for four hours of hell on the phone, it was just like an attack, an unprecedented attack on his life and my life coming against everything I've ever taught him, everything I've ever believed in my life. You need to back off, Dad. And this, when I got off the phone, I was never upset with him. I knew it was a spiritual attack. But I told the Lord that night, I said, if every kid I have turns their back on me because of this gospel, I'll preach it anyway. God, I promise. Because the temptation is to compromise for the sake of the temporal and now and the relationships now. But it's bigger than now. When Heather was so sick a few weeks ago, she never had, when she had COVID, she never had breathing issues or anything. It's just sick. But when I heard her fall in the bathroom and I went in there and I, I told you a little bit one Wednesday night and I saw what I, what I saw her when I walked in and saw the condition that she was in, and I turned her over and saw open big brown eyes that with no life in them and no, no anything in her body, and I drug her out on the floor, and I said, no, God, uh, I ain't doing this again. I said that out loud. I said, no. I literally said, God, I can't do it again, and I rebuked death in the name of Jesus. I said it out loud. Had the kids call 911. And I knew somebody needed to pray, and, I, and God dropped a name in my heart of a pastor friend of mine, and at midnight, he answered on the second ring. I said, what's wrong? And I said, and before I could even get the first sentence out, he was in the throne room. Boom. Touching the throne of grace. Not, it wasn't no wimpy. And life was there again. But that night, when, the, when you ambulance takes off with your life... <laughs> And then you go and, and, they, and you can't go with them. You're just, it just is what it is until you hear from somebody. Then they keep you and you, so you just go home because there's, at the, there's nothing you can do but go home. I thought she was stable. I felt like she was stable. I, I knew I needed to sleep and I wanted to sleep. But I found myself more so laying down and in the spirit. And beginning to pray over in the spirit and in the words that I had. God, I need you to spare her. But no matter what happens, for hours I prayed. God, no matter what happens, I'll serve you more tomorrow than I am today. God, 
No matter what happens, I will preach that your word is true. No matter what happens, I will preach that revival is here. No matter what happens, I'll preach that you need the baptism in the Holy Ghost. No matter what happens, I will preach against every sin that you told me to stand up against. And I will preach the truth of the word of God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm thankful when it works out. (laughs) I'm thankful when it's testimony and not tragedy. I've lived through both. And I'm here to tell you that whether it's tragedy or testimony, that God is still good. And his mercy endures forever church God is still good and his mercy endures forever and forever and forever I've got a made up mind got a made up mind and the Lord turned the captivity of Job and when he had prayed for his friends you know the ones that accused him of everything when he had prayed for his friends Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he has before, as he had before. And so the Lord blessed blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. Why? There's a reason that God blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning, and it's one that's explainable. Because Job remained faithful. And he stayed true. And he loved God when he didn't understand it. Listen, there, there's going to be heartache. Deep heartache at some point in your life. I haven't seen a single person born that's ever escaped without at some point in their life being touched by heartache. But God's still good. And if you'll give Him everything, If you'll give him your joy and your heartache. Ask your questions. But be resolved that the ways of the Lord are right, whether if you ever know the answer or not.
I believe that's people that come to that place that God can work miraculously in their life powerfully in their testimony that can that can walk in their marketplace life where it affects the people around them do you know that we should that we can walk in a place in God where where there where the where anointing goes with you everywhere you go come on somebody our faith and our relationship with God can't be because life's great what Paul said about the, the suffering of this present time They're nothing compared to the glory to come.